and we are up. Awesome. So here we are. Let's roll. Robert, give us the clap. You do the intro tonight, man. I, I already got the snap in, so do it. there it is. Hey, everybody, it's Rob from National Fire Radio with Jeremy Donch, and we got a pretty awesome guest uh, tonight. I'd like to say in the studio, but we're not in our studio, although I want to set up my studio at Dave Smiley's place, so that looks pretty badass in there. It does. Dave Smiley, Lebanon City, Pennsylvania. Dave, what's going on, brother? Nothing, man. Just ready to do this. Let's get to talking. We're All doing right. it. I, We're doing it. I got to meet Dave uh, in Hyattsville at the old 6200 Bellcrest Road there at the back of the squad in the uh, squad bay. I think you were coming down uh, to Buff. I mean, that's four or five years ago. I'd say longer. I think it was 2015 was when I met you. Yeah. I had yeah. no idea. I never heard this story before. Yeah. So It might have been before that, honestly. Yeah. Dave, it might have been uh, like 2013. Dave showed up, and then, like, we went to jobs. It was uh, – he, he was Every the best ride-along ever, and, like, we were always with him, so, like, he had an alibi. No, but seriously, like, it was – Black cloud, man. I love it. Yeah, he – like, because yeah. I – either he showed up, and I had a streak for a while where I would roll through the door, and then within, like, 20 minutes, we'd be going out on, like, a 44 house or something, so it was uh, – you, know, you know what's so cool? Like, I hear all these stories, and I'm so pissed I never did this. Like, because where I'm from, man, nothing happened, right? No bunkins. You don't have ride-alongs. You just don't do any of it, right? And then Pennsylvania, Maryland, Delaware, like, it's just such a cool culture. I'd love – I, I want to learn more about it. I really do. So, Dave, tell us about your upbringing, man. I know you have um, – you got a lot going on in the family business of, of firefighting, so maybe you can just yeah. for us, pal. So, uh, I grew up in Westchester, PA. Um, I'm third generation there. My father's father was a fireman there. And then uh, – when I was born, my father was actually the fire chief there. So uh, he did three years as chief of the department there. Um, he's been a paramedic out of Chester, PA, for just over 30 years now. So uh, not that I don't do EMS, so I don't want to mislead you there. I, that's where my – I followed him to be a fireman, but I don't, I don't do EMS stuff. So yeah. I'm in Westchester. I've been a member there since 2009. I joined there when I was 14. Yeah. So I uh, – I joined as a cadet, and then I went to uh, be a junior there when I was 16. I stayed about 18. Then I moved from there to uh, Booth Wind Fire Company in Delaware County as a living. I was I lived there for like three years, somewhere around three years. And yeah. And then eventually uh, started staying at the Minkwist Fire Company in Newport. We'll call it staying because they don't have women's, but. Minkwist, right? right there. Yep. And then I, uh, oh. I read at Minkwist pretty steadily um, up until this year when I moved up here. Okay. So. so you grew up, I mean, third generation growing up in that household. Um, I saw, you know, the world of social media is a fun thing, man. When I, I saw a picture of you and your brother, I guess your father has uh, an antique or two, and you guys were yeah. dressed up like old-time firemen, right? right? Right. So he's had a – he just bought his third rig that he's had over my lifetime. Nice. Um, he claims every time that he's going to get rid of them and <laughs> ends up buying another one. So that's kind of cool. Um, what was it like growing up like that? And not every, not every kid has the, the, the benefit of having a father that is so into it and then being able to share that passion with, with you. Um, has I mean, it, an incredible thing. It was awesome. Um, 
I kind of knew from the start that's what I wanted to do. I always wanted to be a fireman. Yeah. And then uh, having a dad who was so into it definitely helped me in most ways. I mean, everybody knows him. <laughs> yeah. That really helped. So can't go anywhere with anybody saying, oh, you're your father's kid and oh, you're doing the same thing he did. And I don't know. It's cool. Like I have a, uh, two uncles on my dad's side that were firemen too with him. So I have cousins that can relate to growing up yeah. dealing with the same thing I did. You know, I, I grew up in a firefighting family too. And, um, and there's plenty of us to go around, but you know, the, the crazy thing, it's a double-edged sword though too, right? Because, you know, they, they blazed the trail before you and they have their own reputation and then you right. and you have to be sure that your reputation is in line with the family values and, and so on. And you ultimately have a lot of times big shoes to fill. And absolutely, if, if you don't fill them, you hear about it too. So, <laughs> so they'll let you know. Rightfully so though, right? Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So Min, Minquist, right? So Boothwin and, and so on. And then you, and then you went to Minquist. Minquist is a unique fire company, right? I mean, Maybe talk right. Not everybody's familiar with the uh, Delaware and Maryland type structure, um, but Minquist, where you ended up there, why did you why did you end up there? I mean, I know a little bit about the company, but maybe you could talk about the culture that brought you there. So, I mean, um, when I was getting ready to move out of Boothwin, I was looking for somewhere busier. I feel like at some point, I don't want to say that you're wasting your time, but you feel like you're wasting the years where you should be going to fires, like. I was going to 20 fires when I lived at Boothwin, and I'm like, Damn, man, like, I know dudes that are killing it 20 minutes down I-95. Right. It sucks. Like, these guys are going to 100 fires a year, and I'm going to 20, and we're 15 miles apart. Like, yep. so, um, I wasn't dead set on moving away. Like, I, I wasn't – not that it was too much farther away, but it's farther away. Um, I didn't know anywhere. Like, I, I knew – or anybody, I should say. I knew some of the guys from the Newcastle County area from YouTube growing up. Cause like Frank Martin, like I've known Frank Martin since I was 14. He came to Westchester to take videos. If you watch, there's a video of me when I'm 14 in Westchester getting busted, uh, <laughs> my gear on too slow. That was a Frank Martin video. So I, like I knew Franco, but I never once, uh, I never once was like, Oh, I'm going to move down there and, and hang out with Frank. Like it was always like, all right, Frank's down there and I know him and, and that's how it was. So, um, I hate to, to break this up, but we just got dispatched for a house fire. That's, listen, if we got to reschedule and that's a job, man, that's... Let me, uh, let me wait. It's not going to hurt my feelings, pal. We can do this remote thing anytime. Let me, so, I'm waiting for the news. Give me a second here. Well, I'm, I'm waiting on my update, too. They got, we got two engines in a truck going right now. I haven't heard an update yet. Is this in Lebanon? Yeah, North Lebanon, where I'm a volunteer in North Lebanon. All right, we can go. It's a chimney fire. I ain't going to that. They can, they can, they can handle that one. I'll catch the next alarm. Um, but anyway, um, so, like, I knew some guys from Delaware. Um, I've been going to the Allentown Spring Melt since I was a kid. Yeah. So Frank Martin there. That's uh, why I met, your fa- I met your father there. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, so I'd meet up with – honor to meet him. I'd meet up with Franco every year, and then I would meet the young guys hanging out, like Austin Moorhead or Don Mills, like all these dudes that I knew, and then we were friends on social media, but I never, like, 
seek them out to be like, hey, I want to ride here. Like, I want to take this step and move in here and go to the So I was actually hanging out with one of my friends I grew up with. His name is George Cornock. He does uh, hookers and hangers now. That's all over social media. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Yep. So I was hanging out with him, and he introduced me to this kid, Brendan Mahoney. And uh, Brendan and I, we, we instantly were like, all right, we're going to be boys. Like, let's go to fires together. Yeah. So that's when, like, I made up my mind, like, I'm just going to do this. And uh, I gave my notice to Boothwin. I, I actually had just gotten. Uh, I mean, you're young, right? Put it in perspective right now. I mean, you're 24. Yep, 24. So, so how old were you when you picked up and left to go chase fires in Delaware? 21. 21. Just turned 21. So, I mean, and you knew, I mean, were you, have you been taking tests in between all that yet? or like? So I, I had tested a few places, like Fairfax and some of the Maryland counties. And I, it wasn't that I wasn't passing the test, but I wasn't scoring high. So right. I know that I'm not going to be the, the one hired on this, this, this list initially. So uh, while I was living down there in Newport, well, while I was staying down there in Newport, um, I see on Facebook this posting for Lebanon, and I'm like, "Damn! Like, why not? Like, I know that I don't. I never been here. I've never been to Lebanon, Lebanon before in my life. I didn't know where it was. I knew, yeah, okay. I knew it was near Lancaster. Like, I, I knew generally where it was. Sure. Hell, they're hiring firemen. Like, I should take this test. Why not? Absolutely. So I, uh, I tested here in. 2017 okay so uh, i'm pretty sure september of 2017 i took the test here and uh i got a letter in spring of 2018 i don't know or i don't know exactly when it was but i got a letter saying that i scored a 97 and i was ranked number one beautiful so i'm like well this changes things like um saying at newport um going to fires like i'm like well, damn, I might actually be a career fireman. Like, maybe I actually did something here. The process goes along. I ended up getting hired here in November of 2018. So I started the end of November 2018 in Lebanon. Um, okay. And then, of course, I got burned in March of 2019. So, so yeah. And that was, that was with Minqua, though, right? Yep. Yep. So that was March of 2019, right? Yep. Okay. I mean, we might as well hop into it, right? Because I asked you about the culture of Minquat, that you were, you're chasing fires. You moved from Pennsylvania to Delaware, which is right down the road geographically, but they're going to a hell of a right. fires, right? So can you kind of paint the picture? Because here's the deal, right? Like you're 24 years old. I mean, you've been a fireman for a handful of years, right? But you run a lot of fires. I mean, you were, you were in fire duty areas where you go, you've been to a lot of work. Right. So to paint the picture, right, you get down to Minquad 21, and then you you end up squatting there for a few years to to really get to get some experience under your belt. Right. Yep. Put it in perspective, man. Like type of department, and then like how they operate, how the how the I want to do the setup, right? To right, now I got you. Yeah. So go ahead. So uh, so Midwest runs uh an ambulance, an engine company, a squad company, which is similar to a rescue pumper, but doesn't have as much rescue equipment. Uh, and then obviously the rescue truck, the red train, 
thanks to Frank Morton on YouTube. Um, <laughs> their accommodation department, so um, recently, actually just recently changed to more paid staffing. Um, within the last, uh, within the last year, they got more paid guys. To um, but when I first started riding there, there was two paid guys on the ambulance and they crossed staff first emergency. So if it was a fire run, they got on the fire truck and they took the ambulance or if it was a crash, they took the ambulance too. They're volunteers. So, um, Newcastle County is kind of unique. Um, how, how is it like, like just to, just for my understanding a little bit, like compared to like PG County or something of that nature is it like is it similar in a, in a setup of like boxes and sending out units and, that so, and having kind of a first do second do responsibility or so i wasn't gonna i wasn't gonna uh make that exact comparison but we can um you have six minutes to respond in newcastle county your piece mm -hmm. two, um where you're replaced automatically well they ask command and then they replace you it's supposed to replace you automatically um as far as boxes, there's a standardized box setup countywide. Okay. Um, so, example, residential fires gives you four engines, two trucks, and a rescue squad. Okay. Um, four, two, and one. And then, I mean, staffing-wise, it's very similar. For the most part, it's very similar to PJ. Um, you don't have – it's not a county department. So – the things that are agreed upon don't necessarily need to be followed. Like the fire chiefs will agree on an SOG with the stipulation that they can also agree that they don't follow that at all. Hmm. Have standardized procedures, but you also don't. Um, right. There's nobody to govern the procedure you just agreed to. It's a countywide system, but not, not a formal countywide department. Right. Right. And it, it's definitely improved. Like Newcastle County is way ahead of time as far as our area goes, like that's unheard of. Oh, we have the same problem. We have the same problem where I am in New Jersey, man. Yeah. Like coming to Pennsylvania and you, you don't have any, anywhere like it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I mean, so but as you're far running as, then, right? I mean, you, you got to cover them. What's that? You cover a large area then. Um, so, I mean, Minkwiss doesn't, the area is not huge. I think it's, uh, I can't even tell you off the top of my head. Yeah, but I mean, if 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 the company next to you doesn't mark up on the box within six minutes, right? All of a sudden, you grew their their first uh, their right. And and if it's what if happened? you're going to a house on fire, you definitely have a large area to cover. I mean, yeah. As far as the standardized boxes go, I mean, yeah, we're going twenty miles into Christiana's local for box alarm, like, and even more so, they actually just switched to uh, standardized uh, or staffed replacements. So you have to call in with your staffing. You call the county, tell them you're staffed. It's not like PG where you're giving them numbers and you're telling like, you can say, hey, we have this engine staff for the next 12 hours. Right. As long as you're on the board of staff, when that six minute replacement hits, they're sending staff units only. Mm -hmm. um, so that's another big step for them, but it also, it causes the response times so yeah. like right you have staff companies coming but if there's nobody between newport and the pa line staff you're going all the way to the pa line for a house fire 
That's what I'm saying. I mean, there's it, there's potential for a, a very long run out of this. And it's about Absolutely. it's about a thousand square miles that county, so it's a it's it's not a small you know post stamp right. of of and, coverage. And it's got a pretty big population for being Delaware, like five hundred thousand yeah. people. You know, like, right? So. Uh, the I googled it. Don't worry. I, I know. I was gonna say, what do you got? Google was, in front of you or what? I was about to say, there's no way he just pulled that one out. What's the, nope. what's the medium income and what? What's the? Uh, come on. So, yeah. so Dave, what? Let's talk about this. I mean, as a young kid in the firehouse, you're hanging out there 24 hours a day, and you're you're going out. I mean, you guys are probably turning the wheel. What? I don't know. Six, ten, twelve times a day. Going yeah. Out. I mean, there's days where you're running six crashes on the interstate before noon yeah i mean that's it's such an interesting setup um just looking in from from a distance and looking at this going like how does this work like you guys are going to a lot of work you're going to a lot of pins you're doing a lot of tool time and you're doing a lot of fires and it's still primarily a volunteer system right 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 supplemented by some career staff but i have to think though as a young fireman you start getting that experience under your belt pretty quick um, you start to get a little, uh, I don't know, invincible, untouchable. Oh, you definitely get that attitude. I mean, well, well plus it helps you got a good culture in that company. I mean, like these places are not pulling in people who are like, I don't want to go to that fire. I mean, right, right. You're either going to make it or you're not. But at yeah. the same time, it's a young man's game. And Newcastle County is especially a young man's game. Mm-hmm. It's not. I grew up in Westchester where your driver could be 60 years old, but all he's doing is driving. In Newcastle County, you can drive an engine to a box alarm, and if the first engine has its own water supply and you're pulling up second, you're going inside. Like, you're expected to be in there. So, as much as it's awesome that it's a young man's game, we also didn't have the luxury of having 20 senior men hanging around the firehouse talking like it's not your typical volunteer fire department where you have – this split generation with the young guys and the older guys and you can talk to the older guys and they'll tell you stories about 40 years ago from fires they were going to. We don't, we don't have that unless you're, unless you're up at 7am hanging out to get coffee. It's the only time you're talking to the old guys cause they're not hanging out. They're not running the calls with you. So, right. Yeah. I was, I'm 21. I move into this firehouse, but I'm moving in with a bunch of kids that are 18 and 19 and, and, and they're younger than me. So like I go from living in a firehouse where, the average age is probably around 40 to now being the oldest guy on the rig. Like my first two years at, at Minkwiss, I probably drove the more fires than I've ever been to in my entire life up until then. Yeah. Cause nobody could drive. Cause I was the only one older than 21 hanging out at the firehouse. So and that's insurances for driving. So I drove, I mean, I drove the more fire than I'd like to tell you about, but it's a whole completely different mindset. When you don't have that older generation hanging around. Like, it's good and it's bad. How how you describe that? It it reminds me of like uh, some of the uh, people in my life who served in Vietnam, but were in that same age because people like they were only twenty or twenty one, but guys referred to them as the old men. Right, like like it sucked because I knew like shit. I am not as experienced as I want to be. Like I'm I'm nowhere near myself the senior man. Like nowhere near that level. But if you look at it in terms of age and years in the fire service, like, holy shit, your senior men at that firehouse are 22, 23. Like, 
it's crazy. It's, it's insane. It's it's completely different than anywhere else. Did the I, leadership of the firehouse put that responsibility on you with like knowing that you're you're a little bit older? Did anybody ever have that conversation of being like, hey man, like we're all here for fun and going to fires and stuff, but like keep in mind these guys are going to look up to you and 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 hit that role. Or I mean, just... not not really. Like okay, so it's you. Un- Minkwas Fire Company, best experience I've ever had in my entire life. Like, being a member, definitely, and even with getting burned, whatever, definitely taught me more than I could have ever asked out of any part of the fire service at all. But I'm in a firehouse where the deputy fire chief is the same age as me. So, like, there was nobody to really turn. And, like, don't get me wrong, like, the deputy fire chief is very – very mature. Like Don Mills, one of my close friends, great, fantastic. Like, but it's not like I can turn to him and be like, Hey man, I'm feeling a lot of responsibility here. Like give me some guidance because he's going through the same thing I am. Like, yeah. From an outsider's perspective for me, it was absolutely insane to be like, Holy shit. All these dudes are younger than me. Like, yeah. Like it was never anything I thought would ever cross my mind in a firehouse at that point in my life. I think it's a unique conversation because like Rob tells a story and I love hearing it down in Hyattsville where, you know, age, the fun thing about the fire service, age really doesn't matter when it comes to doing a job. Right. And a lot of people, I always talk about it. It's, it's my friends outside of the fire service have a very hard time understanding how I can be good friends with a 65 year old guy and a 19 year old kid. We don't treat them any differently. I mean, respect level, obviously, you know, senior man, like, you know, put his time in, but we treat them all the same. If it's up to me or I throw a party at my house, I invite 65 year old dudes and I invite 18 year old kids. Like it's, it, we don't distinguish a difference at the firehouse, however, or whatever age you are. And that's a unique conversation. People outside the fire service have a hard time grasping onto that. I find it unique, though, that I come from a culture where my department still has a lot of the older guys and we still bring in young kids. And then we, we're actually lacking the middle age group between, in, my, in the volunteer house, we're lacking the age group between 30 and 50. And I'm 43, and I'm like one of the anomalies left in, in my hometown department because I've been able to stay here. A lot of the guys haven't been able to stay in this region. And so, you know, I'm, I'm one of the few left that's between 30 and 50 years old. So we have a lot of 20-year-olds. We have a lot of guys that are in their 50s and 60s, but we don't have that middle group that typically is your officers, right? Your line officers up through chief, right? So we're pushing guys up the line quicker, obviously. In your position, it's interesting because it's a younger base department because it's fast paced and it's aggressive and exciting. You guys draw a large younger clientele to come in to be a part of that culture. Yet all those jobs that in most departments run the gamut have to be done by that younger generation. Um, I love that because I, you know, it's, it's exciting. You know, it, it's a, it's a culture that is different. Rob tells a story where I was going with this. I love when Rob tells a story where he's down in Hyattsville and they have some ride alongs and a guy comes in and he can't believe what a young kid was driving to rescue one night, Rob or something. And he, but it, I mean, between the rescue truck and the, and the tiller truck and talk, and talk about that story. Cause that's one of my favorite stories. That you tell. So, if I, if I get this correctly, you know, I, but like we, we, you know, I, and I think it used to be firehouse weekend when firehouse expos in Baltimore. Cause like they used to make a bunch of jokes about it and stuff like that. Like, Oh, we're going to have, you know, all the ticks show up or whatever the, the slang was down there. But like, 
there was a time where a guy came in the firehouse to to ride along and he's like where where are the adults and i'm like what and he's like you know like why aren't you in charge and i'm like because this isn't my show like these guys run this firehouse and and i was like you know you you think about it you had like what i think a 19 or a 20 year old driving the front of the the ladder truck and a 18 year old tiller in the back of it and i'm like this is a million dollar piece of equipment more than that now right but like like and then there's a a 20 year old kid calling the shots that i'm listening to right with confidence because i know he knows his shit you know like and at the time i think it was chester and it's just like like you know and you have these people who are all about it and you're like no like like they are in, immersed in this culture to be be firemen like this is what they do or firefighters and this is what they do all the time and they sit around and they talk about being in the firehouse they talk about running boxes they talk about the first do and like running routes to take to certain areas and stuff and how to beat seven or 12 or or 44 in the boxes and stuff like that and it's um like this is what it's about and the guy was just completely blown away like you could just tell he was so uncomfortable with it because he's like well in my department none of these guys would even be close to driving and i'm like well oh, I I mean, know. like you're not yep. you're not in your department guy like your department's not right. running five to six thousand calls a year well like, and that's so that's the big trade-off too right a lot of these departments slower volunteer departments not from that type of machine if you will I mean, what are they doing five six seven hundred runs a year i mean you know they're not the 23 year old kid is not getting the experience that he's getting in a different department that's running thousands of calls a year and doing a lot of cut jobs and fires and they're just not getting the experience. My, my, uh, one of my best moments in Hyattsville, you know, and, I, and then I'll just leave it at this, but like was bringing guys from New York down from my job so they could see what it was like. And I remember one of my lieutenants at the time, Alan Jones came down with me in January. It was like January 3rd. And we ran like the sixth or seventh homicide in PG County in that year. And he was just like, we've only been in the door for six minutes and we just did a triple stabbing and you were putting a chest seal on a guy. I've never done that in my career. And I'm like, that's Thursday night and chill him. Like, what do you want? And, but like, you know, and, and that's the kind of like, and you, you talk about the department you're with in, in Newcastle and that's, that's what attracts people to it is that there is this busy atmosphere. You're getting to do stuff that you normally would not do that could, I mean, I, I think I said to John Toll one day when I, I had come in the firehouse and we ran a fire, I said, because I was keeping track on a book and I forget even how old I was at the time, but I said, I've now run more fires in Hyattsville than I have my whole career as a, as a paid firefighter and as a volunteer before up in New York. And just because like there, and there were shifts where or there were times where we'd go down and you'd run three jobs in 16 hours and like, that was never going to happen to me in Youngsville, New York, or any of the other places that I volunteered because we just didn't. Right. If it if it did happen, something was wrong. Somebody right. was wrong about gas can and matches. Something was wrong. Yeah. Well, I love it, and I I think it's an interesting conversation because not everybody has those experiences and comes from departments like that. And so, what I'm really doing is kind of just painting a picture of that culture of where you grew up, right? Because moving forward with this, right? I mean, you know, how, how I got to um, know you and reach out and so on was um, you got hurt out of fire and uh, you got burned. Um, and I really want to dive into it. I know um, I read uh, Chief Goldfeder's uh, column that you did with him uh, in Firehouse last, this, I think it's this month, actually. Uh, it was March. Yeah, last oh, month. It was March? Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, 
what is it, April? I've lost all track of time yeah. with this. Right. Uh, you know. But, um, you know, I read that column and, um, and you and I had spoken previously um, and so on. And, you know, we've been following your recovery and your career and so forth. But I think you bring a really incredible message because um, you're openly talking about your experience. And, um, and I'd love to kind of hop into that a little bit, Dave. And really just, uh, you know, really get a take. Maybe we could paint the picture of the scenario, the situation, the fire, the day, all of it. Really to get people to understand that, um, you know, things go south and they go south quick. Yeah, so uh, so I'm pretty open about it. Um, yeah. I think the reason I'm open about it is for a long time I tried to just move past it. Like, I, not to pretend that it didn't happen, but, like, in my own head I'm like, damn, this is, this is not going to get like put on me. Like I will not be the one that gets blamed for this. Right. It's not all my fault, but a lot of it is my fault. Um, so I think, I think that in and of itself, man, really speaks to the the character of who you are. Um, too often in the fire service, we're, we're so easy, easily pointing the finger elsewhere and deflecting, you know, our own responsibility. Um, all right. So I'll get into it. Um, so I got burned March 14th, 2019. Um, I had just gotten off. I think I worked at 36 up until the day before. So got off the morning before I got burned from Lebanon to Newport. Um, at the time I was a rescue captain in Newport. So, uh, it was a Wednesday, it was a Thursday I got burned. Wednesday, I had spent the night at the firehouse. Um, Wednesday night at Newport is duty crew night. So normally we put up two or three crews. You cover actually seven locals um, for anything. So so like if they get a car fire in Hoke Essen, which could be 15 miles away, you're still the engine that's still on it. I mean, there's dispatch as well, but the thought was to try to take the stress off of the other companies, whoever's engine that night kind of keeps it staffed every night you know they're coming if you guys want to break for the night then you have all for the night so the night before i get burned we uh i ran a drill uh an extrication drill we went down had a car on its roof um so the thing you run into with the day after duty crew night is everybody wakes up the next morning and they go to work so next morning um i'm sleeping on the couch we get dispatched for a house fire in Mill Creek's local, 21's local. Um, the house I got burned at was in two's local. So different box than when I got burned. I wake up that morning, ride the seat of the rescue squad, um, get a bullshit box, we get returned. Uh, we'd just gotten back and, and at the time, Brendan Mahoney, who I talked about earlier, was the fire captain. So we got back to quarters. I, I was probably outside smoking a cigarette at the time. Um, He's like, yeah, I'm going to Dunkin' Donuts. You want coffee? Actually, I'm pretty sure he asked me to go with him. And I was like, yeah, this is what I want, but you're getting it. Like, I'm not going. So he hops in the utility, whatever he hopped in. I don't know, the, the other buggy. I don't know what he took. But he goes to Dunkin' Donuts. So he's probably gone for two minutes and this box drops. So I'm like, oh, well, that sucks. Like, we're leaving this dude. He ain't making this one. So jumping in the rescue truck. Um, I put us in route. They're getting multiple calls for a house on fire. 
Uh, I knew the other rescue company, Cranston Heights, they were doing the box for an engine, but they were out on a CPR with the rescue truck. So I knew they were coming. I, I remember telling my driver, like, yo, man, don't make us the third do special because I'm not being the writ at this fire. Like, I know this is on fire. We will not be the writ. So we're boogieing. Like, ambulance goes on, see what Smith's showing. It's kind of a haul from Newport. I want to say, if you were to put it into Google Maps, it's probably a 10-, 12-minute drive from the firehouse. Uh, so units are arriving it's out there in like tanker territory like we're well whatever you call it in jersey tender territory i don't know what you call it but we're ta- i call no hydrants like tender is the term whatever you call it so we're getting there we're out going out there i have seven guys on the rescue truck with me which is an engine company with some rescue stuff on it got out behind me with three um so the first engine goes on scene, fire showing, no water supply, which we knew going into it that there probably wasn't going to be a hydrant, but they announced that there was a hydrant. So they told the second engine they need to grab the hydrant. Uh, then a ladder truck had pulled up from Ellesmere, um, which put us back in line to be the second due special service. Um, Ellesmere's ladder truck out there is the first due special. They parked out of the way just because of water supply and whatnot as the second due engine was laying out from the hydrant. So I told my driver just to park where the ladder truck was. Knowing we were the second special, second special in Newcastle County, um, the ladder of the AB sides ensure that a Charlie side report's given by the first special and assist with the primary and do the secondary searches. I think it's important to say too, right, Dave, that the, the way it's set up, even though it's not a county fire department, you guys do have set standards for the most part that typically right. for, followed on the fire. Not, right? not everywhere, but for the most part, the terms we use and the, the responsibilities are recognized. So Ellsmere knew what they were doing as the first due special. We knew what we were doing as the second due special. I, right. And I just, Dave, I just want to throw out for people listening when, when Dave's referring to like first due special service or a second due special service, it's a rescue, a rescue engine, or a ladder truck, correct? Correct. Yeah. So, so, so we got there. Yeah, go ahead, brother. Uh, we, we're pulling up. I actually have, I don't know, it's been shared all over the place. There's a picture I took when we were pulling up. Um, there's like a decent amount of smoke coming from the roof area. Um, I got out of the rescue truck, took off running. I bar. Uh, an air pack with a tick built into it. We just got G1 air packs. Um, made it to the front. As I was getting to the front of the building, I noticed that the alpha side man door on the first floor was never forced because the first engine had run their line to the rear where there was an open door that the ambulance crew had opened. And they actually ran their line through the room where the fire started. They didn't know that that's where the fire started. They, they had nothing in there at that point. They ran their line through where the washer and dryer were in that utility room and then back through towards the front of the house and up the stairs to the bedroom where they had fire shown from. Um, the first special followed them. It's a corner lot. So it was a, no, it's a farmhouse in the middle of what's now a golf course. Okay. Called in by a golfer, but it's a setback. But on the arrival, I'm just trying to, I'm trying to picture it and kind of paint just a a little more of a picture. So when you, on arrival, they pushed through the rear, line came through. So the fire started on the first floor laundry room, 
but it was suspected that it was a second floor fire, right? Correct. So the fire started first floor laundry room on the Delta Charlie corner, presented itself on the Delta side of the building, the Delta and Charlie sides of the building on the second floor. So, um, so it up into the second floor, older construction, right? And then right. good smoke pushing from the roof line on the second and then eventually fire from the second floor, right? Right. So the initial report was a roof on fire from the golfers on the golf course. Um, when they arrived, the ambulance arrived with smoke showing and then the engine updated that report with fire showing. Gotcha. Okay. So they pushed so, the line through the rear door through right. the origin without knowing they went through that room. Correct. Line to the front of the house, circled around and up the stairs to the second floor. Correct. The so, A side door, the front door of the house is still secure, right? Because you right. So door, right. Yeah. So I get okay. I get to the alpha side. Um, command was actually walking towards me, and he's like, "Go ground ladders, ground ladders." So I already had two of you guys because we had seven on the rescue truck. So I told them, I "said just go dump the ladder beds." There was a quint there. Our rescue truck was there. There was an engine there. So uh, I assigned two guys to BOV, and then the, the operator, his job is to go to the roof for our operations. So it was already understood what he was doing. Um, I took four guys inside with me. So myself, two barmen, and a can man. I forced the front door. Um, upon, I actually forced two front doors. So there was a front door, then like a mud room or or a lobby area, if you will, right. another front door. Um, I forced one, broke a glass pane out, pane out for the second, just reached in and unlocked it. Um, we, and, it. And directly inside the front door was the stairs. So we made the stairs. There was a little bit of smoke on the first floor, but nothing, nothing that was like, holy shit, this is on fire. Like, we should stop. So with, with the mindset being our job is to assist with the primary first and then the secondary, I – Proceeded to where I thought the fire had started, where the fire was presenting itself. Absolutely. Search closest to the fire and work your way back. Right. So, and this is where my inexperience or, or not having enough years in or whatever you want to call it kicks in where I'm like, this room's on fucking fire and I am going to get in it. Like, I'm going to get close to this room as I can. I want to be the dude that's searching, like, dead set on, on this is where I'm going. So on the stairwell, we run into the first two specials officer and the lineman and the backup men from the first engine. Right. In the hallway, uh, the, the officer was actually on the stairs. And I, I was like, yo, listen, we're searching in front of you. And he was like, go to the third floor. And I was like, we're going to finish the second floor first. Like, we'll get to the third floor. We're going to finish this. Now, so, this is not that big of a house, right? So you guys are stepping on each other in, this, in the staircase? I wouldn't say stepping on each other, but we were close. Like we were not yeah. far. Um, so long story short, when I passed the nozzle in from the first engine, when I made the stairs, I thought the line was dry still. So in my mind, they have not put water on this fire yet. Like the fire's smoldering, free burning, whatever you want to call it. it it's, it's on fire, but it's not crazy. Like I make the, I make the hallway and I'm like, well, fire's not blowing out of this room. Like this isn't anything crazy. Well, what I didn't know is they had put water on the fire and we're out of water at that point. That, that was never clear in my mind. So, so I'm dead set on like, we need to search this bedroom and then move on from there. They, they dumped 500, like 500 gallons or. I, uh, okay. 
I won't say for sure how much water they put on the fire. Yeah, so they they flowed the 500 gallons, so. though. We, we didn't. They put didn't they, the line, no? they put water on the fire enough that their operators felt their tank was empty. Okay. Whatever that was. Um, okay. So another thing that was not announced or wasn't clear to me was that their nozzleman had actually bailed. So he had a, a mask issue or, or some issue with his air pack, whatever it was. And he gave his line to the backup man. So none of this is clear to me. Um, it's probably it's probably three seconds from the time I get to the, the landing on the stairs. To I'm in this room. Yep. So I'm in the room. Um, I can see what's left of the bed and the dresser. And I'm like, well, I'll do a quick sweep of this room. Make sure there's no body on this bed. Like, I'm here now. I'm in it. Just paint a picture on the conditions on the second floor. So are you talking like duck walking in the like I'm I am as close to standing as I'll ever be in a fire at this point. Okay. All right. So clear as day. It's I, not terrible, tenable. I can see the golfer on the nine hole trying to putt. Like it I can see everything. So okay. I'm in here, I'm walking around, I do a quick sweep of the bed. Um my guys are catching up to me. And uh I'm like, well, there's nobody in here. I flipped the bed. I flipped the dresser. Nothing. Like, I, all right, I'm getting the hell out of here. Like, I'm not just going to sit here. So I got to, like I said, this is this is a Charlie Delta side on the second floor. I got to the, the Charlie side window, which was directly next to the bed. And uh, things started changing. Like, it's getting noticeably hotter. This is taking off again. Like, well, it's back down on you. It, like, I need to get the fuck out of here. Like, it's getting okay. hot. So I'm making my way back to the, the hallway and uh, there's fire coming up out of the wall. Like I can see it in the wall. Well, I'm like, well, I'm fucking here. Whatever they're doing with this line, they're not going to be that long. Let me open up this wall. So I, for whatever reason, I get to stick my bar into this wall and I'm like, fuck, I'm using the wrong, like I'm using the forks. What the hell am I doing? So I, I take my bar back out and I go to spin it around as soon as I spin it around, my my knees start sinking. Like I, I sink into this floor, and I'm like, "You're in the hall. You're in the hallway. I'm in the bedroom still. Like at the bedroom. Okay. At the door to the bedroom. Like in the bedroom, facing the hallway. And I'm like, "Oh fuck! Like this is gonna." The door, doorway's right in front of you. Right. And my guys. You can uh, see the guys in the hallway, or you know, right. outside. You're like, right inside this bedroom. Fire coming out of the wall. You open up the wall, and all of a sudden, you start going through the floor. Right. So, so I know that this hose line and my guys off the rescue truck are within five feet of me. Like I know they're on air. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Okay. So, um, I started sinking into the floor and what actually had happened was my bunker pants lifted up enough that my boot got filled with everything. So yeah. it's filled with all the shit that's burned on the floor. And I'm like, shit like damn i need to push myself up like my ankle's on fire and it was legitimately on fire so i went to push myself i bent down to push myself back up and then i fall waist deep and then i go to push myself more and i fall almost up to my shoulders and now at this point i'm stuck in the floor um i'm screaming uh these guys come in and they don't have any there's no water in the line there was two cans uh my cam man was stuck on the stairs behind some people I'm not exactly sure where he was when this happened. Um, but so both of my guys that had Halligan bars make it to me right away. Um, the officer of the first special 
and the can man of the first special are right there. Like they're trying to pull me up. Um, my shit's all twisted. Like I'm, I'm, I'm losing it. Like all composure I had up until this point, my back is on fire. Like everything's on fire and I am losing it. So, so I'm sorry, Dave. Go ahead, man. Go ahead. No. So you're any question you got. You I, well, what, so, I mean, I just know like, cause I did a little homework and read some of the stories and so on. I paint a picture of what I know too people listening and so on really get an understanding of it right if they're not familiar with it but as you were sinking all your riding up on you right right so um i had brand new gear it was probably four months old uh 38 inch coat so it's not like i was wearing a short coat um the way i fell and the just the way i was stuck in the floor the flap of my coat actually rose up and uh as it was rising up, it was just exposing more of my back. Um, like I said, my boot at this point is filled with shit that's on fire. Like debris, like, st- yeah. like the breakaway stuff from the floor and the just yeah, whatever, whatever two inches of shit that was burning on that floor that was in right. my. Boot. So now, when you went through the floor, obviously, see the one thing like we in training, like they talk about, like oh that floor prop and everything, but it's always a clean hole. Obviously, it's not. It's jagged. It's rough rips you apart i mean it's right, right. So, so yeah so a couple issues i ran into when i fell through that floor was the fire started in the dryer and essentially ran up the ventilation system and just sat in the in, in between floors so i mean it was burning away those floor joists for what they think was somewhere around 90 minutes um so when i fell and got stuck i was literally stuck in what was filling this whole house on fire. Like I was heavy char, right? I mean, deep char, right? I'm oh, flakes apart, glows embers. I mean, it's yeah. Like I'm literally, I'm literally stuck in like what feels like a a, a tunnel of fire. Like I'm just stuck there. Like there's nothing I can do about it. So uh, I'm like trying to, I I don't know. You, You try to do whatever you like. I can never be like, this is how it feels like. This is how, like, I can't do this. So I'm stuck in a spot where I've never been before. Like I've been burned three times up until now for my ears, my forehead, like nothing where my whole body feels like it's on fire. So I'm losing it. Like these guys are trying to pull me up. Um, My lid falls off my head. My air packs all loose and they're pulling me by my, my straps. And um, I'm like, yo, like, let me, let me fucking go. Like whatever I'm falling into is better than what I'm in now. Because yeah. all I can think of is when we got here, that first floor was not on fire. I'm now, like, you say that, I mean, you're up to your elbows. Like, are you yeah. that yeah. far through? So, to like bring nipple lines, like is, everything up is, is above your chest. Right. And, and I'm on fire below the floor, and everything above me is on fire. Is like the, the fire coming up, up, up through past you, too, right? Right. So, so I'm like, let me get, I'm fighting these dudes, and it's some of my best friends. Like, like the one kid, it was his first fire with his first actual fire with us in Jersey. And like, like you react the best way you can, but nobody, there's no class. I don't give a shit what anybody says. There's no class that can prepare you for either trying to pull a fireman that's cussing you the fuck out and burning alive or being burned alive. There's no class that can prepare you for that. So Dave, I think too, the natural, the natural understanding, like if even if I, you know, if any of us were there is, 
we got to get them out of the hole, not through the hole. Right. But so, bit, if the fire is burning in the room below them, if there's fire coming up out of the hole, we're thinking right. on fire, the room below is on fire. Right. So your, your first thought when a fireman falls to the floor is, wow, damn, the fire below must have been good enough for this floor to give way. Like, yeah, abso absolutely. So you're not letting that dude go. And, and my whole thing is, yo, I know this room below us isn't on fire because I just came that way and, and I saw it and it wasn't on fire. So, so we're fighting and, and all in all, this lasts for maybe, maybe a minute. Maybe I'm trapped for a minute, if that. But it feels like fucking 10 years. Like, like I'm like, yo, let me go. They're cussing at me. We're all screaming. I never even called a mayday because my radio, uh, it was gone. Like, there was not any shot at me calling a mayday. So, right. uh, first specials officer actually called the first mayday, and then my barman called the second. Um, but by the time they called the second more detailed mayday, I was already on the first floor somewhere. Like, I was hanging from the ceiling. So, I eventually, I get freed. They give up, let me go enough that I, I get away from them. Um, but when I fall, my air pack's still above me. Like, my, my coat and my air pack were actually stuck in the ceiling. Like, my chief went in after. You came, you came out of your coat, which the, the, your shoulders right. are on the coat. So, I will. Split out from underneath. I remember every part of this fire except for the part where I got out of the ceiling. Like, I, for, for the sake of me, I cannot remember what I took off first, how the, like, what I did to get out of my shit. I don't, I couldn't tell you. So, I make it to the first floor in the laundry room. Um, mind you, with a door right next to me, but in my head, there's only one door because I'm going right out the way I came. Um, and I get to the front yard, and the only thing I have left on me, fire gear wise, are both my boots and my bunker pants. Wow. Everything else is still in the house. So I got to the front yard. Um, it, like I, it was so quick that guys were like the guys from the RIT were even like still on their way in when I'm getting there. And they're like, oh, like what the hell? He's already out. Like, so I get to the front yard. I, I remember kicking my boot off and my sock was actually on fire um, for my ankle. So I, I put that out and I walked clear as day, walked to the stretcher. I told Your sock was still on fire after you got out of the building. Yeah. Yeah, so I kicked my boot off. I had a bunch of shit. They actually had the boot. You can still see where my ankle was burned. There's skin burned to it and everything. But uh, so I make it to the stretcher, and uh, I, don't, I don't know the EMTs, but I know of them. So I'm like, yo, listen, take me to Crozier, which is the burn center, big burn center in Chester, and call my dad because I know my dad's going to be the first one to find out about this. Yeah. He needs to know I'm not dead. So at this point, uh, with the May Day, they had flown a helicopter, um, a DSP helicopter, Delaware State Police. Mm -hmm. Like they're they're on the ball. They're good dudes. So they, uh, by the time I get put in the ambulance, the flight medics at the back of the ambulance. Well, they can't fly me because my back, like my back's torched at this point. So they don't fly me. Um, the medics from the county get there because Newcastle County's countywide ALS. Um, and they're, they're, I'm yelling at the driver to, to drive. They're taking me to Christiana first because I have to go to the Calusa Trauma Center, which is understandable. I wasn't as understanding at the time. But uh, they I take me to Christiana. Right, right. So I'm not being very nice at this point. So they give me fentanyl, and it doesn't do shit. Like, I'm like, yo, you got to do something stronger than this. Like, I'm – so they get me to Christiana, and they cut all my clothes off, what's left of them. They – uh. 
they're checking my airway and there was some like singed hair in my nose and because actually what had happened was as I was coming to the floor my mask was getting pulled up so I was inhaling shit but I was still conscious to the fact that I shouldn't be inhaling what I'm exposed to so I'm like trying to hold my fucking mask on and, and push myself down and get myself out of this hole so um I was pretty good at, about keeping my airway safe um but they intubated me anyway which was probably the best thing that ever happened to me. So they knock me out, um, drive me, take me on 95 up to Chester, take me to Crozier. Um, I wake up in Crozier, like, I think I was intubated for eight hours. And uh, I will say, like, the amount of support I got in the hospital was amazing. But I probably only remember about 72 hours of the 15 days I was there. like. I was so drugged up. Like I, people say all the time, like, Oh, do you remember me visiting you? And I'm like, honestly, no. Like I was so out of it that I like all the shit I was posting on social media while I was in the hospital. I, I don't remember posting that stuff. Yeah. I'm glad I did because looking back, it's like eye opening to me. Like, damn, I really expressed my feelings on this while I was there. (laughs) So it was cool. But at the same time, I'm like, damn, I wish I remembered everything I said while I was in there. Like, yeah. Did, did you, when, when you came out, I mean, when you got yourself free, right? I mean, you, I remember reading, it was like, either I got to do this or I'm going to die. Right. Like, yeah. It came to that decision-making where you were like, I got to either get myself out of this position or I could die here. Right. So like I said, it, I mean, it was quick. Like a minute is very fast. Um, especially it can also be very, very long. Like, there's helmet cam footage of it, like, and I'm like, holy shit, like, that felt like forever. But as soon as, like, I've fallen through floors before, trailer fires or whatever, like, not not anything crazy. And uh, as soon as it happened where I fell below my waist and I felt that I was no longer going to get myself out of this, I was like, well, fuck, I'm done. Like, like, who knows? Like, I'm fucked. How quick, literally, how quick did that happen? It was prob- from I'm gonna open up this wall to swimming in a hole. I was seconds, three seconds, probably three seconds. Like yeah. it was so quick that like I couldn't. But in my mind, like breaking it down, I'm like, damn, like this was so gradual, and like there were stages of this. Like, oh, what if I didn't push myself out? What if I just jumped for the door? Like breaking it down, it feels like I had all this time to make these decisions, and I didn't. Like it was just done. Like, yeah, yeah. Your first instinct when you go ankle deep into a floor is to just push yourself out or pull your ankle out. And by the time I made that decision, I was up to my knees. And by the time I made the decision to get myself out further, I was up to my nipple line. So like, it was just so quick and done. Like there was no, I think the the important conversation too, right. As you mentioned it before is there was no time to call mayday. Right. When guys, when we go through mayday training and we teach our guys and we do it ourselves and we go through training and training and training, I wanted to ask you, have you been to any fires in your career with legitimate maydays where you, um, were, you know, directly involved this, or in this one, this one, excluding this one. Yeah. Right. right. Um, right? I mean, so up, up until now I had been to fires where maydays were called and cleared, but right. not there was legitimately firemen that were trapped and needed help. Like exactly. you go to these fires and they call a mayday because they don't know where a guy is. And then they find them fucking eating hot dogs and drinking Gatorade. Like, like I've been to these bullshit maydays, but not one where I was like, 
oh shit, like this dude's trapped. This dude is getting fucked up right now. Like never had in my life. And it's crazy because 2019, Newport, the guys from Newport, which is what we call it, Nicholas, um, were directly involved in two meetings. So I got burned and I want to say two months before or a month before my mayday, the lieutenant for my company called a mayday at a basement in a basement at a house fire in uh, Newcastle. So it was eye opening for everybody. Like, like at this point he, he got out, like he called a mayday cause he couldn't, he felt that he couldn't get out of this house. Right. Call to make. And then everybody looks at, at my mayday and they're like, well, fuck, he thought he was stuck in this house and he wasn't and he called a mayday and you were actually fucking stuck in this house and you didn't call a mayday. But the difference was like, I was put in a spot where I immediately knew I was not transmitting on the radio. Like, there was no, it wasn't even a thought in my mind. Like, never was I like, oh, I fell, now I need to call a mayday. Like, I knew my guys were close. I knew somebody was going to get a mayday out, but I also knew that we had at least five guys in the hallway that were going to do something about it. So but I, that's, that's kind of where I was going with this is that, you know, you, we train and train and we go over it. And unless you're directly involved with one and you see how the timing goes down and how it actually pans out, you know, there, there's times where training is, you know, training is training, but you didn't have time to respond. No. You're, you had, you had to make a, a decision within three seconds of if you were going to make it or not and survive yourself and knowing where your crew is. And I think that's the important part about crew integrity and knowing your riding positions and working as a company, you knew your guys were right outside that door and you were able to communicate to them that you needed help and you were getting right. I mean, they knew from the minute I fell through the floor and looking back, like I wish I would have communicated better, like, like told them what I thought I needed or, or had that time to to break it down or, or had a general mindset towards saying like, yo, I'm trapped, but this is what I need. But no, I was, from the minute I fell into that floor, it was just screaming. Like they knew something was wrong and like I was not in a good spot. So that was communicated. But as far as other things go, like, like I said, in a minute, how much can you really communicate? Like by the time they said, Hey, there's a fireman that fell through the floor. We need water on the second floor. I was already out the front door. So like, like you go through all these drills where you're like, this is what we're going to say if we're trapped in a fire and we're running out of air, but we don't ever train on when you fall through a floor and you can't call a mayday and you have a whole crew in the hallway. What are you going to say then? Like, yeah. So or even that self survival mode, right? Like, right. Like, you know, that false sense that somebody's going to come for you. Right. And it's, you had, it's four so guys, you had a whole crew trying to pull you up through the floor, but you knew better how to get out but they're wrestling you to get you out the way they think. So you right. rely on, and I think that's important to really instill that into guys that you really got to, you got to fight for every single inch that you got to take to get yourself out of that position. Yeah. And you really like, I hate being corny. I'll, I'll break that down for a second. I hate being like, like that article that they, I wrote or I helped write for firehouse, like where yeah. it said, I, I thought it was do or die or whatever they quoted. I hate being like that. And my only goal at this point is to open up all of the young kids who are like me, because I still see it all the time. Guys running around with, with chips on their shoulder. And I absolutely had a chip on my shoulder. I was, I was badass, like unstoppable. Nobody could tell me any, like guys run around with this attitude that shit's not going to happen. And, and they're so much better than everybody else in this country. And it, I'm all for having pride and being better than everybody else and telling yourself you're better. But when it comes down to it, Guys, 
don't realize that they still suck at a lot of shit. Like, if anything, this hit my eyes, and I'm like, God damn, like, I wish I spent all of my younger years sitting in classrooms learning from firemen that actually did shit instead of, like, sticking around telling dudes that I was doing shit. Like, you're not shit until you're actually tested, and, and it's more than just taking a hose line and putting out a bedroom fire or beating the next closest. Like, everybody takes pride in, in so much stupid shit and talks so much shit for no reason. And then something bad happens and they, they don't have the solutions for it. They don't like everybody's mindset is just, Oh, I'm so much better than everybody else. And like, yeah, that's a part of the fire service. Like I get it. Trust but me. I think but I think it, it points out to the point uh, here, Dave, is that like you can have that mindset, but if it, it's, it's like all good things in moderation. And if it, if it pushes you to a point where you're blind or you're tunnel visioned, into your own bullshit. Hey, like that's that's a bad place to be, you know. Right. I mean, anybody can can buy into their own bullshit enough to tell themselves that they're great and they're the best thing to ever happen. But then the minute you fuck up, guys aren't let, gonna let you forget about it, and you're definitely not gonna let yourself forget about it. And that's what it's, guys will get. It's that, but it's also the fact that the fire gets a vote, right? Right. I mean, you you know you can you can control it, right? That you know we've all seen. Uh, guys have mask issues, right? I think we talked about this the other night where, you know, we've all seen guys have mask issues or, you know, uh, this or that, left my gloves on the truck or, you know, whatever, right? And Right. Right? So, like, there is a lot of uh, pomp and circumstance, if you will, in the fire service where, you know, it, there's a lot of talk and not a lot of bite, you know? Right. Uh, I, think it's, I think it's interesting, though, because, you know, this is kind of what we were painting in the beginning was, you know, you surround yourself with aggressive young firemen who just want to go to fires and they have experience. And even with all that experience, I mean, you could be 23 years old, but have the experience of a 40 year old firefighter. I mean, you just can't, right. Right. Can, you can have that, right? Maybe the mindset's a little different, but I think the important thing and the fact that you're willing to talk about that is awesome because I think more people need to heed a warning to that, that, you know, you go to a bunch of fires as a young kid, and I don't care if you're in a slow department or a busy department, you know, you start to get too comfortable. Um, I know I have. I mean, you know, there's times where I'm, you know, I, I've been comfortable, and I, I've done this. I've been there before. I can do this. Like, I know where we're going. I'm Mr. Cool, right? And then there's other times. I saw a video this morning out of Buffalo, and I will talk about that later, but where these guys VES'd on a, on a building this morning turned into a fatal fire, and, and you know, they got their asses kicked. And, you know, you – you get thrusted into that position, it's go time. You don't have the ability to then sit back and go, okay, you know, check all those mental checklist things. It's time to go, you know? And I, I just think though, I, I appreciate you talking about that because I think more guys in the fire service, and I'm not even gonna say younger guys, I just think guys in the fire service sometimes need to take a half a step back, look in that mirror, say, am I ready? Am I prepared? You know, am I blowing too much of my ego up to think that I know it all or have done it all, or I, I can do it all. Um, because for you, you know, I don't know if this is the right word, but I'm sure this experience was overly humbling to your career as a fireman to say, I got to take a step back and really analyze what happened here and, and then go from there. No. So, absolutely. So, and I think another misleading thing, not only in the volunteer fire service, but in the fire service in general is being promoted. So, so I go from riding in all these places that 
saw a couple fires a year and I had a shitty attitude when I was younger. And uh, then I, I moved to Minkwiss and it kind of, it humbles me originally. Like shit, now I'm competing with these dudes that go to fires and will tell you exactly how they feel and will tell you if you fucked up. And then, like I said, I'm, I'm one of the older guys there. So, um, 19, I make, I make captain. So now I'm the rescue captain. Um, and I will tell you that I was never the best rescue guy. Like it's never been my thing. I like going to fires, but car crashes and tech, like all that shit, like is way above me. Like I never wanted anything to do. So now I'm promoted to rescue captain. So now I'm all about like trying to figure out like, what the fuck am I doing here? So I need to figure out ropes and I need to figure out water rescue shit. And I need to figure out low angle and high angle and, and every collapse, all this, all these different specialties that you're expected to know out of a rescue company, but I'm leading it. So now I'm, I'm so focused on everybody thinking that I'm the best rescue captain. Like I'm going to be the best at this. Well, all this, all these fires we're going to don't matter anymore. Like I can, they're fine. Uh, the fires always go out. I'm always going to make the fire room eventually. I'll always be there. They're always going to see me doing fireman stuff. So I don't got to worry about them thinking that I'm a shitty fireman because I know I'm, I'm decent fireman. But my, my mindset towards fire is so lax at this point that I'm like, oh, this is just another, this is another bedroom fire. This isn't shit. We're going to make this bedroom. Nothing's going to happen. We're going to mop up and it's going to be fucking stupid and we're going to be done. Let's go to the next one. Right. Well, now I'm the captain. So I'm like, even more so, nothing bad happens to officers. They know everything. Like, they have it squared away. So automatically, I got this position. I'm 23, and I'm like, God damn, I'm killing it. Like, there ain't no way I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be below my old man in my standings at this point now. Like, he might have been chief in his 30s, but I'm already a captain at 23, so I'm going to kill it. Well, it, don't, it doesn't mean shit. I guarantee you that. Like, if I don't care about the color of your helmet or the color of your front, end of the day. So no matter how much you convince yourself – you're good or this is a bullshit job or we shouldn't take this seriously. We shouldn't focus more on this other shit. Like it doesn't matter at the end of the day, because the moment you overstep or the, the moment that you read something wrong or put the wrong judgment at a fire, it'll bite you in the ass or your back or ankle, whatever you want to call it, but it, it'll catch up to you. Like it's not. And my, I regret my mindset being so lax at the point when I got injured, like I, I didn't give a shit. Like it was just another fire. How how long did it take you to really have some like, you know, retrospect on on all of this, right? I mean, you obviously live with physical scars of this, and you have the right. well, but I have to think, you know, getting out of the hospital and going through your rehab and really, really having to live this, you know, um, the debilitating, you know, uh, injury that really set you back and so on. But I have to think that the scars run super deep for you because you know right. you, there's a lot of humble pie here you know yeah so uh all right so i want to i want to break down the entire recovery because without me breaking it down from the moment i remember being in the hospital it's not going to make any sense so well, let's talk about recovery yeah. so i wake up in the hospital um my parents are there and everybody everybody thinks i'm dying and in my mind i'm like well, shit, like, I'm fine. Like, I'm to the hard part. Like, this this is going to be easy. Did you get my helmet? Like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. yeah. First, first concern, where's my front? So, which is, it's bullshit. I got gypped, by the way. 
It's not even all burned up. I'm pissed. But anyway, so, so, anyway, so I wake up, and uh, I don't remember Dave one, but I know he gave me my phone. So I get my phone, and they were so against – my parents were so against giving me my phone because I'm all drugged up, and I'm like, the only thing I care about is talking to my friends. Like, I just want to talk to my friends. You're 24 years old, man. Like, right, like, right. So I get my phone, and I'm like, holy shit, like, there is 900-some text messages on here. Like, wow. now I'm like, I don't know who to talk to. And then it hits me, like, damn, all these people are worried about me, but for good reason, like, for good reason. Like, well, I was going to ask you, did you even know how badly hurt you were? So, um, I didn't know the full extent of it at the time. But I mean, at what point did it set it when you were in the ambulance and you were like, I need more pain meds? Like, so I'm in the ambulance and my hands, and there's a picture that the news guy took of me looking at my hands on the stretcher. But even more so, they put me in the back of the ambulance. And I just, like, I just got out of a house fire and I'm like, I was just on fire. I shouldn't be shivering. So now it's clicking in my head, like, something's not right here. Like, I'm telling them to blast the heat in the ambulance. Like, I'm burned, like, this shit is bad. Like, this isn't good. So my hands are, are so bad. Like it's like dumping like, like a sprinkler system out of my hands. Like all, all the fluid coming out of my hands is just going everywhere. And I'm like, Holy shit. Like now adrenaline's starting to wear off and pain's starting to, to come back. And I'm like, God damn. Like, so I knew it was bad. Um, I don't really remember I think my ankle was just so burned that, like, I didn't really feel it. And I don't remember it being a big concern of mine, which actually turned out to be my worst burn was my ankle. But um, in the hospital, it's funny. I, I knew, I, like I said, I knew I was, I was pretty messed up. But I also was like, well, the hard part's over. Well, that was not correct at all. Um, bandage changes are actually the hardest part of being burned. So I found out very quickly the next morning when I was conscious that – wow, like, they're uncovering everything and I'm not even allowed to get showers or, or do anything. And, like, wow, I'm pretty messed up right now. Like, people thought I was going to die from this. Like, now it's starting to click in my head. Like, damn, I really have a lot of people worried. And I, I think I, I realized I'm, I was in a worse place than I thought. So, um, Crozier, I, hats off to Crozier for being the best burn center around because um, they were great, nothing but great. I spent 15 days there, and uh, how long were you intubated for? Uh, eight hours. Okay. So, so the night, the night, uh, well, the night of the day I got burned that evening is when I was back. But um, I wouldn't say I wasn't. I was fully there mentally until the next morning. Okay. So for 11 days of those 15 days. I was on the lauded and oxy. So like I said, everything's pretty blurry. Like I don't really remember a lot of stuff, but I remember like the bad moments. Like I remember bandage changes. I remember having breakdowns and nightmares and shit like that. And, uh, but I wasn't actually supposed to get out in two weeks. I was supposed to be there for a month. And I talked to the doctor and let me out early because my dad works there. And like, I was like, Oh, listen, he's a paramedic. He can take care of me. I'm staying at his house. Like, I won't push it. That that was a damn lie. Like I was, I was out walking around. Like they're like, don't walk in this ankle, and I'm ready to go driving around in the command buggy and get back to running box. Like 
I was not the one to keep or let out early. So um, they let me out, and um, I, I'm so ready to be out of this room that I've been in for two weeks that I'm blowing off every red flag that's getting thrown at me in my own mind. Like, like I'm not sleeping. I'm not. So I'm on pain meds, but then they tell me if we let you out two weeks early, we're cutting your pain meds. Well, the day they cut my pain meds, I can't sleep. Imagine that. So now I'm like, oh, I didn't sleep all night last night, but I'm so good to get out because I'm so ready to be out of this hospital that mentally I'm fine. Like everything's fine. So it took, I would say about a week after getting out where I was like, holy shit, like I'm not okay. Like, yeah. And so um, thank God for, for my friends. Like thank God for Bobby Eckert and Don Moorhead and, and guys like, like guys stepped up and were there for me and listened to me just talk. Like, and at that point um, I had a very hard time when I first got out, like, like I said before, like blaming myself. So I was so, Set on blaming everybody but me. Like, this was the Nazeman's fault. This was command's fault. This was not, like, I did nothing wrong. Well, that's not, that's not true. We, everybody knows that. But I had a very hard time admitting that. So, um, and at the same time, you go from being a captain in Newport, Delaware, to being the top news story and everybody's adding you on Facebook, everybody's adding you on Instagram, everybody's texting you, calling you, FaceTiming you, like, you're the man. So, like, I'm 23 years old, like, I don't want to diminish this feeling of being so, like, looked on, like, everybody's talking about me. I am, I am the man right now. Like, yeah, I got burned, but everybody's all about me. So, like, you don't want to give that up, like, and I had a very hard time realizing that, like, it's not going to be good forever. Like, like well, I not only that, but the a lot, some of the attention wasn't positive attention. Some of it wasn't right. Some of it wasn't, you know. Um, and you know how social media can be, and people are always going to, you know, pick and, and find, uh, find the opposite side of, of the pot. You know what should be positive and get better and heal up, and then we'll address it. So I mean, not all the attention was was hey right. brother, we're in your corner. We want you to get better. Right and. And the other thing that, that comes along with that is, yeah, everybody loves being there for you and being your best friend, your best friend. But at the same time, people love firing you up too. So not only are you going to see everything good everybody's saying about you, but people are going to remind you that this dude's talking shit or this guy said this or you did this and this is the rumor. Like, like guys love stirring the pot. So, and I get it. Like, like I said, I, I grew up in the fire service. I know how. We've all been there. Right, right, and and as I, I'm a big fan of social media. I think it's a great thing for the fire service. Right. But at the same time, I think it brings very, a very open opportunity for people to hide. So, like guys are are straight blasting me that don't know me, have never don't know a damn thing about Delaware or anything, and now I'm getting blasted by fake profiles or, like, and it's like you know what. I thought it was the funniest thing when it was about another dude and not me. But then when it became about me, I wanted to be like, oh, damn, like this, this is not right. Like this sucks, but it is what it is. Like that's, that's a part of it, you know? I mean, anymore, and it happens to everybody. But yeah. I had a very hard time facing any kind of negativity or criticism for a long, like a very long time. That took me months to, to finally 
be able to be like, well, I messed up and now it's time to fess up to that. So, um, how did you, I don't want to like, how did you get to that, that point where you were, because that's that, like we can talk about bravery and courage and all this other cliche shit, but like really for you to, to come to that crossroad and have that moment of truth of yourself is probably one of the most courageous things that somebody can do to say like because especially when as you just described you're in the center of this limelight you know of sorts under tragic circumstances things that you would like not want to have to repeat again and like how do you get there like you know and what's that what's that look like so i think um i stepped away from the firehouse in general for most of last summer um I kind of just needed time to my own. So like I was hanging out with my family more and I'm hanging out with my fiance. Like I'm doing all these things that I missed out on because of the fire service. Yep. And then I realized like I can avoid this as long as I want to, but this is my career. So people are always going to know who I am. People are always going to know what happened. Like everybody knows everything because of a report. Like we won't even get into that, but everybody has an opinion. So in order to, and not like, I'm okay with people having their opinions, they can say whatever they want, but in order to, to get rid of most of the negativity, I needed to, to come clean with myself. Like, like I couldn't keep taking negativity and then telling myself that I did everything I could and I did everything perfectly right because it wasn't right. So at some point I was like, well, I have to go back to this job. Like it's going to be my job. It's what I want to do people are going to have their judgments until I come clean. Like, like people still have their judgments now. It is what it, people never stop talking shit, but I think by coming clean with not only myself, but to everybody and, and thank God for Billy G for giving me the opportunity to team up with him for the firehouse article. Um, I, I love, you know, I love the fact that you're willing to share this story the way you are and how candidly you do it. Um, I will say, um, I know it's not, well, I can only imagine how not easy it is, even when you become somewhat comfortable with it. I have to think that for you to be here tonight and to really talk as candidly as you are and, and some of the articles that you've done now, can't be easy on you. And I, I have written down here physical scars versus mental scars. I mean, you have the scars on your hands and your ankle and so on that you see every morning and every day and every night. But I have to think, though, that, you know, um, it took – quite a long time for you to get over the, the mental hump on this. And you probably still struggle with it at times. Yeah. And I, I don't think like, I don't know. I, like I said, I hate being corny and I hate being like, yeah, this, this, this affects me. And this is still an issue for me, but it is like, of course. And, be, right. I mean, I don't, I wouldn't be afraid to say that. I, I think it's, it's yeah. what made you who you are today. And so I think what it is though I is, I expected it coming back to work. I expected my first fire to be rough for me. Like, oh shit. Like now I have to think about this. I have to think about falling to the floor. And it wasn't like I got a, we got a decent, I wouldn't say a decent amount of fires, not as many as, as the dream is, but we got a fires. Like I've been fairly lucky here as of late. We get a, a fair amount of fires and not once has anything tripped me up and been like, oh shit, like triggered, like, the famous triggered word, like, it's never been like that. But it's when I'm sitting up at night at midnight and all I can think about is, 
God damn, I wish I did this differently. Or God damn, I wish I changed this. Or why didn't I think about this? Why didn't I walk through that first floor before I went to the second? Like shit like that is what trips me up. So is like, I can sit around for hours and debate things with myself. Sure. That's where I have a hard time still today. Like moving past it is like, there's so many things I wish I did better. And I, I knew better, but because I didn't do it then it's going to eat at me forever. And it is what it is. That's a part of it. I mean, and I do that. Like, do you think that like from a, a like a self-reflection, like, because I, I, I look at it, like I, I hear you say that, but I think about it this way, like, you know, especially when you like, cause I've had those moments myself where I've been up in, at midnight trying to think of that. And I always go back to like, you know, like one of the back pocket skills I've, I've always told myself is at that time, I did the best that I could with the skills and ability that I had in that moment. Like I've, I've learned some new shit now that I've probably be like, Oh crap. I, you know? Yeah. I, if I had that in my pocket, I definitely want to use it. But in that moment, like that's what ended up happening. And I mean, yeah, no, I get what you're saying, but the problem I have is convincing myself that I did do the best I could. Cause I don't think it was the best I could. Like, like I'll tell you, I, if I fell in that same situation now, there'd be 10 different things I would have done. Like if I would have pulled up, when we pulled up to that house, I would have done the 360 or, or like there's things that I've changed now going to fires now that I didn't do then. And my mindset's completely different. Like I, and like I said, do I miss Newport every day in my life? But now I go to work and when I'm done at work, I come home and I clear my head and then I go back to work the next day. So I wasn't giving myself that break. Like, yeah. And as much as I hate people saying they're burned out, it burns you out. Like mentally it will destroy you going from firehouse to firehouse. And like, I would leave work, go to Newport, run 18 hours nonstop, come right back to work. And it burns you out. Like you yeah. don't want to do it anymore. And being in the hospital and, and not knowing if I was coming back in my mind at one point was kind of okay because I'm like, well, if I don't go back, then, I got this easy excuse out of it and I don't have to deal with it anymore. And like I said, I don't know what I would do if I wasn't in the fire service. Like who was I kidding? But there was that thought in my head, like, damn, I don't want to do this anymore. Cool. And, uh, at the same time, my attitude when I got out of the hospital cost me a lot of my friendships. Like I was, I was on this almighty fucking kick that I was the best. Like, yeah, I got burned, but I'm still the best. Like nobody can talk shit on me. And I was so cocky. I was probably more cocky after I got out of the hospital than before I got burned. So yeah, it humbled me for a minute, but I got this huge head for a while there. Cause that was bars. I survived it. Look at me. Right. Right. Everybody was on my side. So I had no negativity. Like, right. Oh, this dude's talking shit, but I got 20 views on Facebook that are going to come at him. Well then all oh, that goes away. Like people, People aren't going to do that forever. And I had a really hard time realizing that. So there's a lot of friends that I no longer talk to, or I talk to in passing now that I went to fires with or talk to every day that I'm like, God damn, like, I wish I didn't screw this up. So that humbled me a lot. Like, like yeah. more so than getting I injured. I think, brother, I think you, you have a lot of time left on this planet and you have a lot of good to bring. And I, I think, an experience like this, I mean, I can absolutely see how it's shaped you and molded you into the man you are today. And this is only a short, you know, year ago. I mean, this isn't, you know, and it's, you know, and so on. So, I mean, I, I just tonight sitting back and listening to you, um, 
I am forever grateful for you to be here to share your story with us. I mean, I, I know it's not easy and I know it's something you're dealing with on a daily basis still to this day, but I have to think too, in some regards that you sit here and, you know, maybe when you lay awake at night, you know, give yourself a little bit of credit that the experience you went through has made you the gentleman you are today. And, um, you know, and I, I think that's really important. I'm a, I'm the type of guy, you know, I never, I, I haven't been through an experience like you have, um, you know, on the fire ground, if you will. Um, but I have to think that, you know, that's, that's one of those moments in life that really shapes and, and you've got some decisions to make. And I will tell you, um, we run in some of the same circles and, and so on. And I do know um, a lot of guys that know you well, and um, you're a true gentleman. And I think this, this experience is only going to mold and shape you to be better, bigger, and more than you are. And, uh, and I'm happy for you, man. I really am. I mean, you got, you got everything in front of you. So I appreciate it. Awesome. Let me ask you a question. I want to ask you a question real quick. Cause you mentioned a couple of guys like Don Moorhead and Bobby Eckert and guys like that for you when you were invincible, right. Um, before all this happened, how important to you back then versus now was it having a mentor or having um, firemen looking up to them thinking, you know, at 23 and invincible and then at 24 and humbled, right? Can you explain maybe the difference a little bit between appreciating it then versus now? So I, uh, I have a good story to go with this, actually. Um, so I remember, uh, man, I don't remember what year it was, but I remember being at Newport and uh, Don Moorhead is the past rescue captain of the company. Um, he still lives locally. So he's up at the firehouse hanging out with us. And uh, we're talking about the OV position. And I, I, I knew everything, like I said. So I think I'm probably 22, maybe 21 at this point. And I call myself the senior man in front of Don Moorhead. Not the right thing to do. But uh, so he's like, he goes off, understandably. And I'm like, damn, I hate this dude. Like, as much as I know he's a good fireman and he just constantly busts my balls and I can't stand it. Like, so I'm like, all right, whatever. Like I blow him off. So I didn't value like the guys I value now that are still around and here for me. I didn't give a shit then. Like growing up, these old guys, old guys always come and go. So like, they don't like, yeah, they matter. Like their opinions matter but I don't care what they say because I'm going to prove them wrong. I want to be better. Like they can't tell me that I'm not good. So now when I have something I want an opinion on or, or something I question myself on, I go to people like Don Moorhead and I'm like, yeah, what do you think about this? Or when I'm bitching about some 18 year old who just pissed me off, I go to Don Moorhead and I'm asking the same dude that used to piss me off when I was this kid's age about how to deal with this kid. So like I didn't value the people that tried to be close to me or tried to stick up for me when I was, or look out for me, I wouldn't even say stick up for me, but, but look at like people that tried to guide me back then. I didn't care about because what do they know? You know what I mean? Like they're not me. Well, what you, they but also you knew better, right? Cause like right. I, I knew everything. I truly was the same way. I mean, I've always been an old soul with, you know, talking with older guys in the firehouse, but now more than ever, I cherish it. Like I never before. And when I was younger, I was very much the same way. I was invincible. Nobody was going to tell me differently. I was chief at 27 years old in my volunteer department. And I was the youngest chief at the time ever. And, you know, I mean, it's like, you know, that goes to your head. And, and 
you know, you can have experience or no experience, but at the end of the day, like you're young and that's too young to be in that position. And so, you know, I didn't appreciate it for what it was or, or, and so on. And that's why I'm asking, because now I find myself at 43 years old, 24 years in the fire service. I find myself now more than ever cherishing relationships with older guys and, and people that have something to bring that I cherish. Um, I, I was never that way when I was younger. Um, I always thought I was. I always talked the game and said, you know, like, oh, it's important, you know, the senior man, or it's important to listen to the old guy that's in the firehouse. But as soon as they started talking and you'd sit there and listen to him, you're like, yeah, he'll be gone in an hour and I'm going to be here for the next <laughs> Right. I'm back on top. As soon as he's gone, I'm back on top. There's nobody to knock me down off the post. I get that. But that's, that's why I really wanted to ask this question because I think now more than ever, you know, especially yourself where you're still – very young and and have a lot to a lot to um still go through in life and and so on but i think for you to get that message out there about how important it is to really have a mentor or have somebody that you respect and you will listen to um because you know complacency kills and and laziness kills and ego can kill and and all of that and i think the the message tonight is is very much that that things can change very quickly and doesn't matter how good you think you are. You can be the best in the world, man. There are some incredible firefighters that die every single day. Absolutely. Uh, and, and so I think that's a, a valuable lesson. But um, I thank you, man. I mean, we've been going a long time. And, I, you know, I just – it means the world. Um, this is probably uh, one podcast that will certainly be on my brain for a very long time because um, for you to be able to do this and to trust us with your story and to come on here – um, I'm glad that Don's name came up. I've met Don a bunch of times now. Don's the one that reached out to me when you got hurt originally and said, Hey, if there's anything you can shout out or, or send out, you know, I mean, shit, I mean, I think we sent like t-shirts or something like, you know, like inconsequential stuff, you know, um, I wish we could have done more or been there, you know, whatever, but you know, it's just, you know, we were, we were there with you and, and we never, you know, ever want anything to happen to anybody. And, and then learning your story and, and coming full circle today, having you here with us um, and just knowing I'm excited to watch your career, brother. I'm excited to see where you go. Um, you're doing everything right. And, uh, and I'm happy for you. I'm happy for your family. Um, and, uh, and the guys that get the ride with you, um, your love for the job is contagious and, and we can see that. So I appreciate it, brother. Awesome. I appreciate it. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, yeah, Rob, uh, it's just a ditto, man. That's you know, yeah. It's uh, it's been it's, it's it's good to see you. And like I said, you know, I mean, I'm I'm I'm, I've had like zero stake in your game, but I'm proud of where you've come from when I first met you in the back of that squad bay. So like, you know, for what that's worth, you know, and I can get you like a dollar, uh, seventy five, and get you a cup at Starbucks or something if you want it. But like, you know, it, it's uh, it's good stuff, man. Yeah, no, I'm. I'm and listen, if we can ever help you in any way or, or so on, I mean, you know, we, we are, um, I consider you a friend and, a, and, you know, we chat back and forth and you always send me pictures of your, uh, you know, your, your shirt or whatever. I mean, I just, I love it, man. But it goes to show, it just goes to show the love you have for the job. And, um, and I think you have so much in front of you and um, just thanks for trusting us with your story. And I like to yeah. think that when we leave this tonight and we get this out there, I think you're going to leave an impact on a lot of guys. Um, I think a lot of people are going to listen to this story that you told tonight. Um, some about the made it, you know, some about the, the, the injury. Um, but I think more so, I think 
having a, a guy that's 24 years old that has a story to tell that a lot of our listeners can relate to, um, I think you're going to make a great impact. And for that, I'm grateful and I'm thankful. So I'm, I'm glad. Thank you so much for that. Thank you guys. Um, I don't know. I, I think it's, it's a huge message that there's a difference between confident and cocky. So um, guys I work with will tell you all the time that I'm so cocky, but um, these, like I said before, like this younger generation, and I'm not trying to be the end all be all. Like I'm not trying to say that I am the king young guy here, but I do want more young guys to just listen and, and just to open their eyes to this. Like yeah. you, you don't know everything. You're never going to know everything. And the minute you get in a shitty spot, you're going to find out that you don't know everything. So um, I appreciate you guys having me on tonight. Uh, it means a lot. Uh, awesome. Yeah. So. We'll do it again, man. I mean, I, I can't wait for our paths to cross, and I'm upset that Harrisburg was canceled, and I'm upset that the, the uh, you know, the melt was canceled, all of it. I mean, you know, this thaw melt, I, I don't know, whatever the hell it's called. but I mean, 2020 I sucks. I thought 2019 was bad, but 2020 sucks. Like Esposito with the dumpster fire stickers. Yeah. Spot on. You're a lube in 2020. I can tell you that much for sure. <laughs> but Dave, listen, man, the best of luck um, with everything, uh, with your family, your new home, your fiance, um, all of it. And, uh, and with the career, man, it's, uh, you're just starting out and uh, you got a lot to bring to the table and uh, you're a valued asset to everybody you meet. So keep up the good word. Keep pushing the job ahead, man. And uh, thanks so much for jumping in with us tonight. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Cool. All right, guys, thanks for chiming in tonight. Chiming in. Thanks for listening in tonight. We were chiming. Everybody else is listening. But um, thanks for checking it out. Dave Smiley, um, thank you, brother. What a great episode tonight, and uh, we're excited to get it out to everybody. Um, Rob, say goodnight. Night, everybody. On behalf of Jeremy and myself and Dave Smiley, National Fire Radio, we'll see you guys out there. Thanks, guys. Take care.